language. Language is important. It's how we express ourselves. It's how we make ourselves known. More than that, though, when it's well used, it allows us to articulate complex thoughts and ideas in a clear and comprehensible manner. In this sense, the human use of language, it reflects a certain rationality in our thoughts and should be considered a gift from God, revealing at least in part the special nature of our creation. God, after all, is a communicative God, one who uses language and uses it in a significant way to reveal himself to mankind, expressing his will, his desires, his designs to them through it. Yet when we consider our use of language, particularly in the Christian context, the fundamental question we have to ultimately ask ourselves is, are we making the best use of it? Does our vocabulary reflect theologically relevant terms and phrases? Are we capable of conveying the meaning behind them in a way that shows the biblical foundation that they are built upon? avoiding confusion and falsity as we work to express what lies beneath them. This, this right here, is a fundamental challenge for disciples of Christ as they seek to not only grow in their faith and their understanding, but strive to live by their Savior's command to go forth into every nation, teaching others to observe all which he has commanded. With this in mind, we will be launching a new series exploring terms and ideas, theological concepts that are important for the Christian life. I'm Wyatt McIntyre. And this is Our Timeless Faith. For the past several weeks, we explored common expressions that are found amidst Christianity today. We looked at the thoughts that Many tend to believe are found in the Bible, but aren't, considering if they had a scriptural framework, if they had a biblical foundation which they were built upon, seeking to better understand what they were actually saying, and if they have a place within the language choices and communications of Christians. In many instances, with the expressions that we considered, what we found was that they didn't. Instead, they reflected a simplistic understanding, a half-truth, or an outright falsity. They expressed a thought or an idea which misrepresented what the Bible actually teaches. And this... This can be dangerous because 
even when it's seemingly innocent, it not only presents an incorrect view of Christianity to the world, but it can also shape a believer's thoughts and actions with an improper understanding. An understanding where secular thought, where secular ideas, they weave their way into Christian belief in this sort of religious pluralism that can lead them astray or harm their witness and testimony for Christ. Now, this isn't to say that every expression that we may use that isn't found within the pages of Scripture should just be cast aside, should just be thrown out, should just be disregarded as if it doesn't matter or as if it was dangerous. There are a number of concepts and ideas which are found within the pages of the Bible which are not given a specific word or phrase. Rather, they are drawn by a holistic reading of the Word of God itself and then later systematized so that the Christian can better understand what they are actually being taught. These concepts and ideas are important because they articulate key doctrinal points which help us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God, in our knowledge and our understanding of who God is and what he is doing, who God is and what he has done for us, who God is and what he expects from us. Thus, it is not only essential for us to know and appreciate these as deep expressions of what the Bible is actually saying and teaching, but also to clearly articulate them, conveying the idea as well as the truth that lies behind it. This is important because when it comes right down to it, We tend to believe that we have a good comprehension of the terms which are meant to express these deep theological truths. Yet, we can have this difficulty when it comes to defining them. In some senses, when forced to communicate them or to explain them, we treat them as if they were a divine mystery from beginning to end. Though they can contain elements of that divine mystery, the reality is is that there is much that God does say through his word to grant us the understanding that we need, the understanding that is necessary so that we can explain and in that assert and affirm Christian orthodoxy. What's more is that there are certain challenges that can arise in our Christian community, in our Christian communion, when we don't properly understand these terms or ideas. 
What I mean is that one of two things can arise. One of two things can actually happen. We can either allow for disagreements to exist that shouldn't because we're speaking past each other, or we can exist in a fellowship that should not exist, in a unity that is based on the superficial rather than the theological. And what this, in both instances, can reflect is the reality that perhaps, perhaps we don't necessarily understand these concepts like we should, or that we haven't studied and discussed them in a manner which allows for us the insight and the analysis that is necessary. We treat these topics as if they are perhaps too complex or too complicated to really get to the heart of it. And in that, we do a disservice to ourselves and to others. Yet the words of Christ in the Great Commission, those words of Christ which call on the believer, that call on the disciple to teach others all which he has commanded, should call us now. After all, we can't teach if we don't first know, if we don't first learn. Meditating, reflecting on, discussing these matters so that we grow and mature in our faith. As the 4th and 5th century theologian Jerome of Stridon would reflect in his letters, read the divine scriptures constantly. Never indeed let the sacred volume be out of your hand. Learn what you have to teach. Learn what you have to teach. This, this right here, that the priest of Christ, which we all are, may be unified in thought and word, in reflection and instruction, in mind and mouth. This means learning theological terms and ideas. This may seem counterintuitive to some, perhaps even wrong. After all, we live in a time and a place. We live in a society and a culture where theology has seemed to fallen out of vogue or fallen out of favor. One can even find the argument that's made that theology itself, it's not that terribly important. In fact, what it does is distract us from the real work of that which the church is supposed to do, trapping it in the minutia when it should be out there preaching and teaching the gospel, calling others to salvation. What's more is that these individuals, these individuals, they will argue that theology, 
it just doesn't relate to people, or people don't relate to theology. The Christian who uses these ideas, who uses these terms and these phrases, they run the risk of speaking a foreign language to those who they're talking to, a form of Christianese which is neither culturally relevant or applicable. This language, in turn, prevents true communication from occurring. Oftentimes what's missed, though, in these arguments is that theology and this basic understanding of what theology is, is incredibly important. It is incredibly significant. Derived from two Greek words, theos, the word for God, and logos, which can be translated as word, study, language, saying, account, or discourse, in its most basic explanation, is often translated as the study of God. But what we also notice is that it can also be translated as God word or God language. And so what we notice here is that it is intrinsically tied to language. It's intrinsically tied to communication. And this shouldn't surprise us a great deal. After all, God chose to reveal himself to us with words, with the divinely inspired words of Scripture. The Bible itself, in turn, is inherently theological in its nature because it is used to describe not only God himself, but the things of God. Thus, what we have to perhaps recognize is the fact that the words that we use the words that we have as they relate to God carry a great deal of weight. They are foundational to who we are. They're foundational to our profession and our confession of faith. And they can't just be ignored or dismissed. They can't just be thrown away into the palpably obscure. As we accept this, we then come to further realize that the theological terms that we have, the theological terms that we use, they provide a practical framework for Christianity. To ignore this truth, to ignore this framework, is to leave oneself open to heterodoxy and heresy, to teachings that run contrary to the word of God. When this happens, that practical work, 
that practical work that they say that these theological terms distract from? That preaching of the gospel that is undermined by these theological terms, according to these arguments, they are destroyed by our own incomplete understanding, by our own incomplete ability to convey what is necessary in a clear, coherent manner. We lose sight of purpose and meaning. As for the second point, if the terminology isn't rightly understood or the individual isn't able to truly explain its meaning, then perhaps it does come across as this different language, as this foreign language, one that, one that seems cryptic and enigmatic. That is why there is a responsibility for the believer to educate themselves so that where confusion may be found, they are able to give a clear, reasoned answer, one that is capable of removing the fog and haze that might otherwise surround what is being discussed. Theology, after all, isn't simply the terms or the concepts alone, but the actual meaning, the orthodox meaning that lies behind them. It's fide quorens intellectum, as Anselm of Canterbury would express. That is faith-seeking understanding, a belief in God which then seeks to understand God. What's recognized here is that the theological concepts, the ones that are rooted in Scripture and have a strong biblical foundation, they are essential. They are absolutely essential, as is exploring the doctrinal basis that lies behind them recognizing that they must draw from the entire counsel of God rather than simply drawing on an individual text as if they somehow exist in isolation, in a vacuum, free of other passages. What this means is that it recognizes that Scripture works in harmony with Scripture. And the different portions of it will end up coming together in real, intangible ways to relate a basic, fundamental truth for us. This, this right here, is what we will be exploring over the coming week as we try to relate these theological concepts to our faith. Some of them will be terms that we're familiar with and that we'll recognize as being important to our understanding of the Christian faith.
Others will be terms that we are perhaps not quite as familiar with, or terms that we'll be hearing for the first time. And in that, we won't be quite sure what they mean or how they relate to our life and our faith. And we will work to try and bring the academic and the practical together with these terms. Why? Because what we have to recognize is that aside from being able to teach these concepts properly, we also realize that the doctrinal beliefs that we have have a direct impact on our relationship with God. And in that, they have a direct impact on us. How we reflect on God and those principles he imparts on us tell us something about who we are and what we actually believe about God. If we hold true to how he has chosen to reveal himself to us. And this, this right here, is relevant not only to our view of biblical theology or systematic theology or our understanding of it, but how we live as his children. By showing the proper care of that which God has entrusted us with, those teachings that we express, utilizing the proper words and the understanding that lies behind them, we then reflect a sincere love for the Lord. We reflect a heart filled with thanksgiving as we take seriously the calling that we have to be a disciple of Christ, giving witness to him. Now, this doesn't mean that we'll have a chance to explore every term, expression, or phrase. That could and probably would take years to make it through all of them. Likewise, we won't be exploring some terms that lead to disagreements between the various different denominations. For example, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, real presence, sacramental union, representation in communion. When we consider these questions of what some call the sacrament and what others call the ordinance. These areas of disagreement are perhaps best left to a different time and a different series where we will have the chance to explore them in greater depth and detail. It will, though, look at basic terms which every Christian should know and every Christian should be able to express the meaning behind in some form of an or another when it comes right down to it when they are asked about it, or when they're just talking about it. This, in turn, will help us to rightly handle the Word of God and give a proper answer with regards to our faith and the hope that we have. The goal is to build our knowledge 
because this knowledge, this knowledge helps us grow. It helps us to mature in our faith, strengthening us for the mission that Christ has set before us. We, after all, as Peter would proclaim, are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Christian is now anointed. And in the words of the 5th century Bishop of Rome, Leo, all who have been born again in Christ are made kings by the signs of the cross and consecrated priests by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This priestly duty carries with it the realization that we, as those who are born again in Christ, those who are called by the Spirit, now must declare the truth of Scripture, which is, by its very nature, a theological enterprise. So, in the end, I hope and I pray that this will be enriching. I hope and pray that this will be enlightening and illuminating as we make this journey into our faith together, exploring these ideas as we hopefully grow with each other, side by side, as brothers and sisters, seeking to increase in our ability to give a true testimony, a true witness to our God as a royal priesthood of believers, as a holy nation of his own possession. I look forward to the coming weeks as we join together in this study. But then that's all I really came on here to say today. I want to thank you for taking the time to join with me and to begin this trek that we're about to take together. I also want to remind you that you can find me online at www.ourtimelessfaith.com. There I print out or I put out a weekly article. The past three weeks I have been doing an exploration of scripture, what they are and how we're supposed to read them. It's a bit of a brief overview, a bit of a starting point for individuals who want to really sort of examine how they are reading their scripture. So please take an opportunity to read them. The next piece I'm looking at writing will be an exploration of cultural Christianity in our society today. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Wyatt McIntyre. At Instagram, at Our Timeless Faith, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Wyatt McIntyre. So please take the opportunity to join with me at all of those places. I'm also on YouTube where I also put this podcast. So you can find me at youtube.com backslash Wyatt McIntyre. So take a look for me there. 
But until we have the chance to meet again, may the peace of the Lord, may that transcending, encompassing peace, that peace that surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, even unto life everlasting. Amen.